everyone. It is time to head north. I'm Natasha Ryan, your host and VP of communications for the North Group. So excited to have Alan Sequel and DJ Zaper here with me today. Alan is a full-time professor at Embry-Riddle, former CSO, and we have BJ, who is the CEO of 3Delta Consulting, and he teaches at Arizona State. So I have two people shaping young minds with me today, and we'll get into that topic, but please do me a favor. We'll start with Alan. If you want to give a little bit of background, maybe that I missed, that would be fantastic. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, like so many people, I started in the public sector. I was in there for five years, uh, was injured on a job, went to polygraph school and gave lie detectors, ultimately uh, went to the corporate sector. And it was uh, just purely by accident. And I found myself spending more than 30 years in the corporate sector last as a director of corporate security investigations. And now I find myself teaching, giving back to the next generation of security, intelligence, investigators. And that, that's why I'm here. I love it. BJ? Well, I spent the majority of my professional career as a federal agent. Uh, I was 26 years dealing with uh, violent crime and terrorism. Um, I like to say that I'm in the human evil business or industry. Uh, after I retired from the occupation, I went into corporate security and healthcare, and then also teaching uh, at the collegiate level. Uh, and then I started my consulting business, and I'm still doing a mix of all three currently. Uh, most of my engagements deal with uh, workplace violence and uh, threat mitigation. Nice. Well, thank you both so much for spending time with me here today um, on a topic that I think is going to be pretty pretty important to discuss. Um, so with that, let's jump right in. Um, I have Alan and BJ here today because I found oftentimes when we discuss private security, the sector itself and, and corporate security, it isn't really seen as a destination right out of college. It's kind of an avenue that people go through post-law enforcement, post-military. So the first question I have to both of you, um, and maybe we'll start with BJ, is what do you think is the missing link here and recruiting more young professionals right into the private security sector? Well, I think there's a, there's a number of things happening in the United States culturally, um, socially, and then internationally as well that, that um, creates some confusion in this. The traditional path, I would say, towards security was that a lot of former law enforcement would go into this field in various aspects, whatever. But now you have, of course, um, the cyber world, which is incredibly important. And there's a fusion between physical security, cyber security. And then, of course, what's most important is being proactive and the pre-study of threats. Threats can be financial, trademark, uh, property, intellectual property, physical threats, uh, workplace violence, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> so I don't think Traditionally, it has been something that would be sort of a post-college vocation because it was oftentimes where people would come out of the military or law enforcement and sort of fill these roles and get into it. The technology and the services themselves have really been developed in the corporate private sector in the last 50 years. It's new to our country, really, in a way. The threat matrix is changing continually. It goes from the physical into the cyber, into the black web, and back out into the physical again. Uh, and so, and then on top of all that, I'll just leave it with this, um, in that generally there's a current disdain for things like law enforcement and security uh, because of the cultural things that have happened in the United States in the last five years. So overall, there's a difficulty of having people interested in that work 
and I would, there's some things I would say about that later, but um, that's a challenge currently as well. Alan? Yeah, I would agree with BJ. Uh, traditionally, people came from military and law enforcement. What I found very interesting coming here at Embry-Riddle, all the folks or students that come here, even as freshmen, have no idea there's even a career path in the corporate or private sector. Part of that goes to, you can thank Hollywood for that. If you go into any movie, television show, Netflix, what have you, how many shows do you see are on security, the corporate sector? It's always the public sector, right? So they don't even know it exists. So I think we have to, as uh, and you might get into this in your discussion, how do we educate the uh, those coming up in the ranks uh, through, through elementary school all the way through uh, college that there is a career path? I'm counseling people, students, every day. Well, I didn't know that existed. Uh, law enforcement, military people, they know it exists, so that it's a natural, a natural transition for them. Uh, so we do have to do a better job publicizing where the jobs are, but we have to get it early. Uh, this has just been a reoccurring thing my whole career. I've been reaching out to different universities and, uh, and trying to recruit for years and trying to educate these young people on those careers that they never knew existed. Who do you think that falls on to do the reach out and the education? Uh, well, I would say everybody. I mean, if you think about it, it starts with the parents, starts at the home, I think. Uh, and then as it, it, it's basically as us, as leaders, as uh, professionals, I think we, we need to go back to our alma maters and we need to do presentations and start educating and maybe go into the classroom in a, when you when you do the, uh, the parent-teacher thing uh, and tell them about these careers that are out there that nobody knows exists. So I want to touch on the human side of who we bring into the industry, because as anyone that's in it is aware, much like law enforcement and military, sometimes you deal with really hard things that are unsettling for most people. So who is the right candidate to come into the security industry? What kind of attributes do you look for in a person that could be successful? Alan, do you want to go first and then we'll go sure. to yeah. Well, I, I think when you look at the corporate security sector and if you look across uh, industries, they're all so different. Right. It, it, a lot of it would depend. But like any profession, you need to have a communication skill set. you got to be able to collaborate. you got to have the basic skills that we all want. Right. But uh, in the corporate sector, you're not going to deal with a lot of the violence type stuff that you might might deal with on the street. So your skill sets may be a little different. Like some of the students that we're putting out today are financial accounting and fraud examining investigators. So they're dealing with financial crimes. They may not need the same skill set as someone who's going to be dealing with workplace violence and active shooter response. So I think they're going to have some core um, competencies for sure. Uh, communications, collaboration, being able to work in teams and communicate. But some of the other stuff will depend on what area in security they're going to focus on, whether it be GSOC operations, intelligence, financial investigations, workplace violence. And I'll let BJ add because he comes more from the uh, more workplace violence side of the, of the house. You know, there's a couple interesting things that are happening. I've observed, I would say, in the last 10 years. One is even besides the cultural shift, I had to speak towards the attraction of law enforcement. You know, at one time in this country, if you had a major municipal police department that was recruiting, you'd have thousands of applicants. You'd mm -hmm. have thousands of people trying out. And there were very popular jobs and hard to get. 
and the same with the federal agencies, particularly agencies that employ federal agents, special agents, armed badges, investigators. Um, the changes that have happened in the sort of anti-law enforcement dialogue in a few years have obviously made a big impact on that. But another layer of shift that I've observed, and this is applicable to any field in threat management, which essentially is what security is, wherever it comes from. It's, it's sure. either going to a bottom line, profitability, employee safety, et cetera, et cetera, is, you know, you kind of have the, I would call it the CVS, CSI factor, where, you know, younger people are watching television and they, they're seeing all these beautiful people working in these awesome, well-lit environments and they're all wearing tight clothes and they're all being super sleuthy and doing all this kind of stuff. And they're looking in these databases that have this unbelievable access to information about somebody's parents dying in a car accident 30 years ago, things that don't really exist. And they sort of get a false pretense about what this work is. And I've seen that with, and particularly undergraduates, and where their interests have transferred over the years away from it. In reality, most of the work is incredibly dirty, dangerous. It's hands-on, it's visceral. And then you go to the thing, which was the original part of your question, the exposure to this. And, you know, <clears throat> there's a transition that happens when people go into the field, whether it's law enforcement. Of course, there's a lot of variance in law enforcement as well, just like there would be security. But it's the exposure, I would say, behind the curtain. Um, I sort of attribute that to the Wizard of Oz, right? I mean, that's a great fable of people that are seeking three things that ultimately they, they had themselves. They had courage. Uh, they had love, they had intelligence, they had it themselves. They went through this Homer's odyssey to get to the wizard. They looked behind the curtain, it was just a guy turning gears. And that's very much what the exposure that security and law enforcement, public safety gives a person and the effect on their life is they're looking behind the curtains of society. They're looking behind the curtains of an organization and they find out very quickly the things that are on the other side, the offstage aspects of this world. And it can have a demonstrative impact on one's emotional and mental health and their outlook. One of the outcomes of that is cynicism and fear and stress, PTSD, all those kind of things. A lot of people are, there's really no way to prepare somebody for that other than the experience of exposure. And then the treatment of the exposure, the ability to talk about it amongst their peers and around professionals. And so I think that in terms of classes that are vocational in nature, right? Actual, say, classes at a, at a community college or undergraduate classes at a, in a university that are very, they're very honest and transparent hands-on about, say, what, a, what an investigation entails and whatever it is, or what victimization means in reality in this country, whether people are being defrauded out of their entire life savings or if somebody's being murdered. And so exposure and honesty I think is one thing that would compel people towards this work, but it's also majorly depend on what our cultural values are. Unfortunately, we're trending still away from these cultural values, but you know, history demonstrates it's a pendulum and eventually it'll start swinging the other way back and they'll be more interested in this dedication. Do you think it would be helpful to market? Because I know, as you just said, it comes with the strife, right? But do you think it would be helpful to go back to like the old school way of marketing this is like you actually have a chance to make a real impact in people's lives. Like a lot of the security work 
is life safety, like workplace violence. I mean, even if you're corporate security, you still are there to ensure people stay alive and stay safe in the Fortune 500 office building. I mean, do you think that message needs to be more inherent or, or do people get that and they just don't care? Like, do you think that would appeal to this younger generation at all? I do because unlike, I would say others, contemporaries of mine, I love this young generation. I just, you know, they have a level of inclusiveness and sensitivity and intelligence that I didn't experience on my own. I mean, there's some other things that maybe are missing but they make up for in these other virtues, I think. And that's something that we should be exploiting. I know that's an adjective that people don't like, but um, there is an altruistic sense to it as well. And, you know, studies show that people are attracted to this work. You have people that are, they really want to help. They want to be of service. They have that motivation. You have others that are doing it because they need a job. And then thirdly, you have people, and I would say, and hopefully in a smaller majority and also detected and refuted through good hiring practices and good background investigations are people that are doing it for power um, or for some other nefarious purpose. And so if the other two are the majority of what compels somebody to do this, you're right. I think uh, the proper type of marketing could maybe in, instigate some of those thoughts and desires for people that are figure out what in the hell they're going to do with their life when they're 22 years old. So, yes. Alan? Uh, you know, for sure. I, I would also say that one of the things that we found that works, that makes uh, or helps get students interested is mentorship programs. So uh, getting them lined with someone in the field, uh, having regular reoccurring video calls or conference calls with them, of course, the American Society for Industrial Security had a program for mentorships for college students with a professional. Get them some exposure, drive by, uh, a, a drive along, side by side, spend a day in the life of a, uh, of a GSOC operator or uh, a field investigator for an insurance company, whatever it may be. Find out uh, what you like and what you don't like, because what you don't like is as important as what you do like. Again, I think it goes back to, at least from the students that I'm seeing, is they don't even know this thing exists. They don't know this career path exists. So I think the marketing um, certainly needs to improve on many fronts. No, you know, I read your article. So Alan published an article on the value and importance of um, mentoring. And one of the things that, you know, I've run into trying to connect people is how do you not only convey the importance of mentorship to the mentee, but also the mentor, because a lot of these C-suite security level, you know, these executives don't either have the time or don't want to take the time necessarily. It's not a dig. It's just we all have priorities in our lives and families and careers. Right. So how do you appeal to the CSOs on, you know, hey, if you take the time, you're helping to bring your replacement one day when you retire into the mix? Uh, I will tell you this. We owe it to our future. We're talking one hour a month, 12 hours a year in a typical mentorship relationship. If and my feeling and my message to my former peers is if you don't have time, go find something else to do. I mean, that, it's, it, we have to do it. We owe it to the next generation. Like BJ said, this Generation Z, uh, uh, or whatever they call it, Generation uh, I'm motivated by these kids because they look at the generation before them and, and they're saying, I don't want to be like a millennial. I want to get out there. I want to work. 
uh, I, I want to differentiate myself. So I'm excited about this next generation that's in college right now. You know, I love internships. I was, uh, it's from what Alan just said is, you know, internships are so incredibly powerful and <clears throat> we had them in the federal government. Uh, I was an intern. I was just really, really lucky. My last semester uh, in undergraduate, I did, was a full-time intern with the U.S. Secret Service, which was an incredible experience and got me information I would have never had trying to come from the outside and figure out how to start and get into that career and how to become an agent. Um, but it was incredible. It was an incredible experience. I had like two other teammates uh, on my football team. We had all applied for this internship at the same time. Luckily, they were criminals <laughs> and couldn't pass the background. And so I got it. <laughs> and but, you know, the internship, a lot of schools have a capstone experience. They have a field study experience. And um, it's great to have those where you can get somebody that is you, you, they go through the background, they sign indemnification, which takes the liability and the risk off of the organization of having them there. They sign a NDA, <clears throat> just the typical things. They get tremendous exposure uh, and vocational that goes, you know, really they go back and then they write a paper to their their school that tells other students how to have this opportunity. And uh, they don't really happen as much I see in the corporate world because there's much more concerns about liability and workman's comp and and uh, all this, you know, sort of the state labor law things. But it's a great opportunity for somebody, especially if they're receiving college credit and exposure to an industry, uh, I think that's powerful, great opportunity. You know, I posed the question, but I'll pipe in here too. I think this generation has such an uh, expectation of um, responsibility for good and culturally, they, they expect more from, from the people who own businesses down to the restaurants they eat at. I mean, across the board, I think it's a great generation to appeal to. I'm curious, those that do seem interested in exploring a corporate security or private security um, career, what is their specific line of interest? Have you noticed a trend towards maybe cyber AI related topics? What are you seeing? Who are you directing that to? Well, I mean, who wants to go first? Alan, you go. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty much across the board because here at the university, we have kids that come in here with cyber interests. Some come in specifically to be financial accounting and fraud examiners. Uh, so uh, the ones that are going into the private or corporate sector have that interest. We do have those who want to go government. So uh, like BJ mentioned, internships are amazing, great experiences, uh, but there's just not enough of them because uh, uh, to, to to what BJ mentioned, there's some liability issues. Companies don't want to bring um, these people on. So there may only be 15 to 20% of our students that get those opportunities. So, uh, but the interests do vary. Uh, and at least at our university, they come in with an idea uh, of where they might want to go. BJ? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, uh, partnerships with universities are always a great thing with the HR department. Like, so for example, I'm thinking um, in a corporate security director role, for example, if that person was to partner with their HR and say, hey, look, let's get a relationship going with, you know, a couple schools that are here in town or whatever, and sort of target their public service or their justice studies or whomever. And let's make an, I'll take responsibility. They'll be in my shop 
<clears throat> we'll have them here a couple of hours a day or you know full time depending on the setup of the school we we'll have a relationship with school we'll all come to agreement about what this thing looks like i'll put it together and we're off to the races what am i getting for this i'm getting free labor because with the the intern or mentoree type thing you can give them tasks and they're working on it. it might be mundane but to them it's awesome they're getting school credit for it and you now have germinated your organization and potential hirees you know it's not only uh you know getting the students interested right it's uh, also for you guys being up on the times and making sure you're hitting on the points that these kids hear about trending right so how have you had to incorporate interesting topics into your curriculum and you know where i'm going with this alan you and i have talked about ai so you know incorporating ai into security and getting it to a place where let's use this and not be afraid of it is this a discussion you're having in your classrooms right now uh i'll go ahead yeah and i would say yes uh, certainly we have to embrace it the technology is the future don't be afraid of it the other thing you have to do is you have to bring some of the stuff into the classroom these these kids the generation they love uh, technology they're not afraid of it they grew up with it uh you know I think we talked about it, but I, I was using a textbook that was 23 years old. The students asked me, Sequela, what is a 35 millimeter film camera? And I laughed. Um, they don't know what film is. And so I, I knew it was time to change the textbook. And so they have they grew up with, with the technology and they're going to embrace it. I mean, you think about what AI is doing for our camera systems, uh, for, for intelligence uh, notebook or I2 no, uh, analyst notebook, different types of tools that we're using to connect the dots. Think about television and the old uh, thumbtacks on a bulletin board with the pictures and the, and the yarn. Well, that's all done now um, with software programs. Uh, and a lot of AI is built into these things, predictive analysis and so forth. So they're embracing it. They're excited about it. You bring it in. Yes. To answer your question, that's a long answer. Yes. Bring it into the classroom. Give them some demonstrations and bring in some real cases where it was used. Uh, I think yeah. this gets them excited. BJ? Most of the conversations regarding AI is please don't use AI to plagiarize and cheat. <laughs> 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 it's like... You know, you get the suspicious thesis paper that is magnificently well-written and perfect. And, uh, you know, anyway, they have, the schools are all going through some uh, hellacious things trying to uh, find a way to stop that. But, yeah. um, you know, at the same time, uh, like I think Alan just mentioned, proactive intelligence and, and um, predictive analysis is incredibly powerful because, uh, you know, one of the things I miss about not being, if there was one thing I would miss about not being in law enforcement, it's that, you know, at the end of my career, we were really going towards intelligence-led policing. In other words, let the the data drive you to where the threat's at. But when you think about the AI application now for, you, you can take every single thing. And, um, you know, I attempted to do this in the healthcare system and had a lot of challenges because of HIPAA and the regulations. But you have all these silos of data that are out there. And you could take AI and have it scrub while everybody else is asleep. AI is doing the work that used to be a room of 100 analysts that were looking at information to find connectivity um, and streams of content that starts to paint a picture and trends and things that you have prediction, you have 
a forecast of what's going to happen next. It's showing you where you're really spending your money and wasting your money in terms of the outcome of stopping something. Um, and so I'm very excited about where that's all going. And hopefully that instead of people being displaced by AI, they, it becomes tools in a toolbox for them to do greater things and that they are the masters of AI because they're using it to exploit information, make things happen that we couldn't do individually because it's not fast enough. And so, uh, you know, just started having those conversations uh, in classes that touch on the intelligence analyst aspect of, say, uh, gang investigations or violent crime or terrorism. It's like the possibilities are endless here. I mean, we are not, we're on the frontier of application and um, there's going to be the need for people that have the mindset to exploit the fact that they have a system or a thing that is thinking as fast as 100 people 24 7 never takes a lunch break, never has to go to bed, never has to pick up anybody from school. I mean, it, it should help our society in a number of ways uh, that are fully unexplored at this point. So my question is, and, and you kind of hinted at this, you know, we see a gap in recruitment numbers with law enforcement to adequately be able to do our jobs in private security how vital is it in terms of being able to secure people and assets 10 years from now? How vital is it that we get more people involved in the industry? Alan? Well, unfortunately, sorry, oh, sorry. I jumped no, go ahead, DJ, go ahead. Um, unfortunately, you know, you can, you can follow crime trends, for example, and we know where those are going. And so you have <clears throat> currently violent crime is increasing property crime is increasing for a number of political and cultural reasons, but also the availability of law enforcement respondents are diminishing and that perpetuates the increase. And so we know where those trends are going. And, you know, the same analysis can be made with various types of fraud and some of the things that are happening in that space. And then when the attention goes towards corporations um, and down to whatever their actual businesses are, whether it's retail or, or warehousing or whatever, you know, to follow those trends and to get ahead of them with this um, would be a great application. You know, Natasha, I think I walked right away from your damn question again. Forgive me. So no, ask Alan okay. again so I can answer it later. No, 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 you're good, Alan. So, you know, the question was how vital is it to pull more people into private security because the need for private security is increasing? Um, you know, is uh, I would say it's very vital. And the thing is, one of the things that you're going to find out in some of the most successful police departments around the world, they've embraced the technology, um, specifically in the United States, those who have, uh, have adopted drones, uh, the technology that can pull information into uh, and, and give you those types of predictive analysis with some of the big data, as well as uh, some of the other technology they've embraced uh, is going to help supplement the loss of human beings. You think about back when if, if anybody has an accounting background when, the, when they first came out with this thing called quickbooks a lot of accountants were afraid they were going to be out of work it created more work for them the same thing is going to happen with this with uh, with ai but i think it's going to be uh, our forces are going to be supplemented with the technology and once we start finding all these things that we weren't able to solve for previously because of ai we're going to have more work than we ever dreamed of we're going to be uncovering more things yeah. than we ever thought existed because we didn't know they were there so uh, I'm an optimist, but I've uh, always been that way. 
I think uh, it's going to be a balance between technology and humans because you're not going to get there when you got 400 officer positions in Phoenix and they can't fill. You better figure out how you're going to supplement it. It may be with a mix of civilian and sworn officers. Some departments are gone. Uh, certain types of cases are being handled by civilians, uh, whereas others are sworn. So we have to be uh, the pendulum is, uh, is swinging. Uh, the paradigm has shifted. We're going to have to adjust and say the old way may not work. we got to try something else. So I guess my next question, because I think it bleeds right into it, is, you know, not just pulling and, and we kind of talked about whether we wanted to go down this road of conversation, not just pulling from the young professionals, but also how do you talk to a police officer who is done being in the in the government sector, had a bad experience, but we need qualified individuals in private security? How do we appeal to uh, law enforcement and veterans to, to think about transferring to corporate? How do we enable and empower them to feel like they have the experience necessary to diving into this sector? BJ? Money. And of course, that's what they want. Um, and, uh, you know, <clears throat> initially it's money. And then there has to be sense of purpose. And so I think that um, one of the uphill battles or the difficulties is, you know, we recognize this threat mitigation need in all aspects of our society and all aspects of our democratic republic and capitalism. All those things cannot function and exist without institutions being protected to be able to function as designed to mm -hmm. bring profit to their shareholders, to bring service to citizens, et cetera, et cetera. And so money is the thing that attracts them first but the value added is that they're going to be making a contribution to something significant. So corporate leadership is still behind the curve on this. Security in all aspects is generally regarded as a necessary and unwanted burden or evil, however, you, whatever context you want to say it in. It's not a, it's not a business line. It's not a profit making line. It's an expense. I mean, I've spent most of my corporate experience, and private practice experience evangelizing the necessity of this. And I have found certain things like getting with their risk people that pay the liability insurance bills mm -hmm. and say, we're going to offset our liability insurance costs because we're now going to implement a physical and cybersecurity process to all of this. We're going to initiate a loss prevention process that's going to reduce on fraudulent accident claims against our company because people are setting us up for things that are false uh, we're gonna we're gonna reduce our loss from theft and fraud and employee behavior issues that result in us losing money and try to make a case for people that are decision making that there's a bottom line here and that you're going to save x number of dollars and if you were to put the cost in terms of what is saved from loss that's the sales point because they're the ones that have to be completely on board with this to be able to build the programs that are of value. The programs that are of value are the ones that are going to attract somebody that actually has law enforcement military experience to come to something because they feel that it's not, they have a requirement to do more, to lead and to develop new tech, well, processes, procedures, technologies, whatever it is that's going to keep this threat mitigation model active and effective. And so it's going to take everybody to, and I would say, 
insecurity vocation to evangelize to companies that have to have these services to public sector entities and agencies the same thing of the value of this and do it in a demonstrated way bottom line and profitability um, so we have a program that has value so we attract the right people to it and we're also putting in the money to attract people and incentivize them to come to work and to do a great job alan uh, I couldn't say it any better. BJ, you nailed it. Uh, once you recruit them, you got to retain them. And in order for these guys to be successful, guys and gals, when they get over, they got to learn to speak the language of business. You got to have financial and operational acumen. You got to be able to sell to the C suite, return on investment. Uh, you, you better get a working man's MBA. And so we have to put some controls and pr processes in place to help these folks transitioning because. It's great. We can hire them, but if they don't know how to sell what they need, like uh, BJ stated, return on investment and look for the low hanging fruit. Like he mentioned, we can reduce our premiums by doing this uh, or bringing this kind of money back or taking on those areas where loss occurs that nobody wants to address. Guess what? These guys have security background, the investigative background, like where I came from. I had a $10 million budget. Guess what? I was cost neutral because I went into those other areas, just like uh, BJ mentioned, we reduced insurance premiums. We went after fiber damages and recovered from those who cut our fiber lines that were never touched. So you have to transition security uh, to from a cost center to at least cost neutral. And you do that by learning and understanding business. So that's how you keep uh, you keep the folks engaged. Get, get to learn that. And I do think our industry is making great strides to providing that transition type, you know, mentorship or even training programs. I know Carlos uh, Francisco and Scott Walker are out there trying to help police officers transition into corporate. So look for organizations like that. If you're listening and want to transition into corporate, I'm happy, happy to help you. I can put you in touch with Alan BJ, whoever you want. Um, I want to get an elevator pitch for college kids to come into private security. So, Alan, what's your elevator pitch? Let's hear it. You want an exciting career, come here and you won't get shot at. And it's also more lucrative, like BJ mentioned earlier. Um, and once you get to a certain level, you won't be flying commercial any longer. You'll be flying in a commercial or a corporate jet. So come on over. We'll treat you right. All right. Thanks, Alan. We hope you won't get shot at. BJ? I'm, uh, I'm containing my pitch because it would be too sarcastic. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. One only has to look at like Indeed or LinkedIn to see the vacancies that exist right now in security. A lot of them are cyber. And, uh, you know, I know in South Phoenix, there's a really special school there. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Alan might know it. They, they recruit directly. The NSA, National Security Agency, recruits from there directly because they literally just dig down in, they recruit kids that have this big interest in gaming and they make them cyber professionals and they proactively hunt in the dark world. Um, it's amazing. And I just think that somebody that goes into that business, number one, they're never gonna be unemployed. And two, it's exciting. And there's a lot of uh, opportunity there. Um, for people that are, I would say more hands-on or visceral, I mean, the country needs you uh, we need you in our military. We need you in our law enforcement. We need you in our public safety. Do that first and then come to us once you have a little bit of that under your belt for the hands-on stuff. But um, the education is first and then the service second. But uh, there's a, it's a tremendous career. 
something you're going to be thanking yourself every day when you pursue it. Thank you so much to both of you for being here. Wealth of knowledge, is, uh, knowledge, both of you. And thanks to all of you for listening or watching. If you want to watch or listen to more podcasts just like this one, you can check it out on our website, tngdefense.com, Spotify, iTunes, or Podbean. Closing thoughts, Alan? Uh, this has been a great career, and I would say that uh, you need to look into it. Like BJ mentioned, there are so many of vacancies and opportunities out here and also feel free to reach out you can get me on linkedin uh, and uh, be glad to provide anything um, that i can to you bj thank you very much for the opportunity to be here and i would say uh you know to anybody that is interested in this you know the satisfaction the true satisfaction comes from the fact that um at least for me personally is preventing victimization and you find out that if you had a hand or role in keeping somebody from being hurt or impacted negatively from the action of another it's the altruistic it's service and uh, it's the ultimate satisfaction so thank you for allowing me to participate thank you and a great way to wrap it thanks everyone have a great day thank you bye